Hey everybody, welcome back to another Bald Move Prestige. Today we're talking about the 2020 movie directed by Charlie Kaufman and a screenplay also by Charlie Kaufman based on a novel, same title as the movie, I'm Thinking of Ending Things by Ian Reed. This is the movie, I'm Thinking of, Ian, uh, of Ending Things. I'm Thinking of Ian <laughs> Reed by Ending Things. <laughs> Um, Jim, this is a hell of a movie to talk about, uh, mm-hmm. especially on a one one shot. Uh, we 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 seen it one time. We try to figure out what to say about it. What what do you what what do you got? What do you got? It's Charlie Kaufman movie. Uh, like if you've seen Eternal Sunshine or Being John Malkovich or Adaptation, uh, all of those movies are, you, you know, you know what to expect. Kind of going into this movie. Um, I, I'm I guess the thing that I'm coming away from this movie with is uh something that I've always felt watching Charlie Kaufman movies, but something I've never really tried to pin down and understand uh what's happening uh-huh. is like the tension he builds through just purely like mundane uh circumstances and 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 like ennui. It's it's like this this boredom mm-hmm. and this fear and this hopelessness that's just kind of there in the the atmosphere of his films and yeah. is never like it is it is actually commented on in this movie but it it never feels like he's trying to push you into that it's more just like that's what is there and the yeah. tension that comes from that feeling just escalates throughout the entire film to to where I'm always looking for the other shoe to drop. And even if there's no shoe dropping, even if there's no first shoe, it it always just feels like there's something big that's weighing on me while I'm watching his movies. And and in this case, it's the hopelessness, I think, of of life, right? Um and yeah. and Charlie Kaufman's kinda, I think, saying it is what it is and and <laughs> it's fine, you know? Yeah. No, you're you're right. That kind of like Ennui, that hopelessness, that existential dread is like gnawing at the edge of almost every frame of this of this movie. Yeah. Um, one thing I might I, I should have thrown out here is um, uh, it's got some stars that are appealing or might appeal to certain bald move fan communities. For example, Jesse Plemons, who we first got to know as Meth Damon on Breaking Bad, and then maybe unfortunately Fat Damon on uh, <laughs> yeah. later seasons of Fargo. Uh, Jesse Buckley, who I haven't seen in much before, who did a really good job as, hell, I don't even know what you could properly call her, um, which we'll sure. get into. Tony Collette, who plays Jesse's dad, uh, or Jesse's mom, rather, who's done a lot of phenomenal work. She, I first saw her as the mom in uh, uh, six, uh, uh, The Sixth Sense. Okay. And I last saw her uh, losing her fucking mind in Hereditary. Uh, Hereditary. Huh. And it also stars uh, David Thewlis, who we last knew in uh, season three of Fargo as just a truly disgusting villain with the worst teeth I've ever seen and breath. Mm-hmm. Um, this movie is... I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to list a couple possibilities four or five possibilities of what this movie could be about. They're not spoiler. <laughs> this movie could be about a horror story featuring ghosts haunting a young man and woman. Okay. 
Mm-hmm. This movie might be about a man's final thoughts as he's freezing to death, mm-hmm. reflecting on his life's relationships and how they've changed over time and his regrets. This movie might be about a relationship that's too good to stay in, but too or too too bad to stay in, but too good to live the the to, to live with. Mm-hmm. Uh, this movie might be about a a woman who's thinking of reasons not to kill herself. Mm-hmm. It, it it could be about all of those things or none of those things. And it was these views I kind of like was shifting through like a kaleidoscope as I watched this movie. And I didn't kind of uh, come to a finally determination until the last few frames about what I personally thought. Mm. But it has all of those elements. Like there's a lot of this movie that's shot like a spook film. And there's a lot of movie. Yeah. There's a lot of this movie, especially a lot of the middle part of it that feels like a much better version of the movie Mother. You know, okay. this mm-hmm. this very symbolic, very uh, th- thematic, very not literally what's happening kind of movie. Um, but I don't know. It just seems to be very polarizing. It's got a mid-80s review on Rotten Tomatoes. It's got a sub-50% on the audience score. And when I tweeted about watching it this weekend... I got about 50-50 people saying, oh, yeah, Charlie Kaufman, really interesting, very absorbing, to, like, I fucking hate this pretentious piece of shit film. Yeah. This movie is up its ass, its own ass. This movie is sniff its own farts. And to be fair, I really like this movie, but it's at least 20% up its own ass, at oh, least. Yeah. But... I found it's very much like a fusion of Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind fused with like Kaufman's other film, Synecdoche, New York um, City. Oh, I haven't seen that. Uh, or New, New, New York, rather. Um, because Synecdoche is all about this guy's kind of like life and his regrets, and it's it's constantly changing in like time period and perspective. Hmm. Um, with Eternal Sunshine's preoccupation, a singular preoccupation with the relationship mm-hmm. and what went wrong, what went right, whether you can rekindle those things. Um, and it's it's that kind of, you know, nostalgic in the Don Draper, you know, p- painful rem- memory kind of way um, that the, the Eternal Sunshine is. But it's it's a hell of a movie and it's a hell of an experience to watch. And I've been thinking about it a lot in the last 48 hours since I've seen it. Um, yeah. it's another one of those movies that like I, I probably should have just watched it again but it's kind of like cheating on a first run bald movie um, but it does cry out for a second watch to kind of like sit the, to see if like my interpretations hold up to a, a, another watching of it I don't, I don't know if I can handle a second watch of this right now like we're yeah. you know in the throes of a pandemic here and I, it's really I feel melancholy. like it's borderline irresponsible for Netflix to put this out right now <laughs> Because, like, <laughs> I, I don't recommend watching this movie if you are feeling down about the situation, the global situation. If you're thinking of ending things, for example. Yeah, yeah it's 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 not going to help with that feeling, for sure. Uh-huh. Um, and I know that I've been feeling that. So there, I, there, there have to be a lot of people out there who, this is not the right sure. time to watch this movie. Maybe they are Charlie Kaufman fans. Uh, maybe give it a little while. Um, and I'm not saying, like, oh, Netflix shouldn't have put this out right now. I'm just saying... Maybe keep this one in your back pocket for uh, less rainy days. Yeah, that's a good point. It's um, thematically, it'd be a hell of a film to watch in a dark, dreary, you know, winter day. Sure. Um, yeah, because it's got a lot of that kind of aesthetic built into it. Um, we haven't really talked about spoilers much. Do we want to? Uh, have we said enough about what we think about this movie? I mean, to be clear, 
Like I said, I liked it. I, I think mm-hmm. that eighty percent, you know, eighty percent score on Rotten Tomatoes feels about right. That you know, uh, and a fifty percent audience score feels about right for you know, like eighty percent if you are a critic or aspire to be a critic or you like shit like this. Below fifty percent if you you know kind of uh, don't traffic in some of this uh, up its own ass smell and its own farts type of cinema. If you haven't seen any of those like um, you know coffin films that we've rattled off. Uh, you know, if you hate John Malkovich, you're probably not going to find much you enjoy here. Probably don't um, but otherwise, yeah, let's let's go ahead and, and, and talk about um, spoilers for this film. OK, I, I want to open off by saying that this w- film cultivates a weird atmosphere and it starts yeah. really early on. There's this long car ride towards this guy's parents house where you're not sure if they're doing this thing where you know, Jake, the guy played by Jesse Plemons, can hear this young woman's inner monologue. Like mm-hmm. there's they they play with that. Um when she starts reciting this poem, the camera goes an extreme angle outside of the car and she makes deliberate eye contact with the audience. Um just a lot of weird things like that that set up this unsettling mood. And then things get like weirder and weirder when you get to the parents' house. You got a dog that's acting like I don't know a character from a, a David Cronenberg film. Sure, uh, it's it's only ever shown when it's shaking the water off of itself, right? And it does it for yeah. abnormally long amounts of time. Uh, it's it, like it's a Maryland round until you think about it, and then it comes around. <laughs> uh-huh. And they uh-huh. do a lot of weird stuff with like um, along the lines of that. Can he hear the thoughts? They always interrupt mm. her thoughts with with uh something happening or something threatening to happen like they'll arrive somewhere just as she's getting up the courage to say something to him about what she's thinking or when she's thinking a particularly uh in a particular way he will interrupt her with with a question or something there's always that tinge of like, did he do that because he understood what she was thinking or heard what she was thinking? Or did he do that because mm-hmm. there was an unnatural break in the conversation and he wanted to just fill the the void? And on top of all this early going, every once in a while, they'll just cut to this old man who's a janitor at a local high school, apparently, you know, cleaning yeah. the floors, um, looking at a... Uh, you know, school play that's being rehearsed, just kind the, of like they're going kind about of hearing business. on the radio at the same time. It's yeah, th- there's a lot of bleed through of like what what other people are hearing into their lives, yeah, mm-hmm. um, and things taking place like on television into the real world and vice versa. Did you think that you see what I'm saying about like it? It's shot like a spook film where you know the like uh, the yeah. film lingers on someone off frame um and then it like it pans over into an empty frame and people like i I kept on looking at the the background and the foreground waiting to see like a pair of eyes or something weird kind of happening um especially when they get to the house and the the living room scenes and time starts shifting yeah and like there's there's someone upstairs but like it takes it there's they're never coming down and you're like wondering what's going to happen he gives this tour of the farm where this these pigs died in a maggot pit and he says life's not always pretty on a farm and then when you finally meet the parents like okay there's these are actually real people uh probably not ghosts but they act like this dinner scene mm-hmm. 
is one of the weirdest, most um, off-putting, awkward dinner scenes since you know Skyler and Walter White having uh, <laughs> Jesse over another yeah. Jesse, another Jesse over for dinner, um, where he says these peas are choice. I, I. And and then it and then it devolves into like she has to leave. She has to be back in town the next day. She can't spend the night. She's made this 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 is where the mother influence came. Where you know uh, Jennifer Lawrence um, kept on saying, "Why are these people in my house? I don't want these people in my house. I'm I'm worried about X Y Z. The baby coming. Why are these people in my house? And yet more people just keep showing up and and putting her in danger. You know this, this poor woman just wants to get home. There's a blizzard outside. Jesse oh, Plemons chains, is always the chains, man. I got the chains. I got to feed my mom. But then, and then, like David Thewlis and Tony Collette keep getting older and older. Uh huh. Um, Until they get younger. The, it's yeah. And, and um, that other and, horror part is is the basement. Like, what are they doing with the basement? And there's a big question about scratches on the door and what's down right. there. And uh, when they, she goes down there, it is shot and framed like a, a, a conventional horror film. And I thought, oh, finally, yeah. we're going to get some fucking answers. Um, I found out in my research that this book that it's based on is considered psychological horror. Okay. Um, very much in the same vein as like the house. Uh, what is that? The sh- sh- book about the house of leaves or something where uh, you're never quite sure if there's something spooky going on or whether someone's going crazy, losing their minds. Yeah. Um, and I, what I heard is that in the adaptation that Kaufman kind of removed a lot of the horror elements and inserted more kind of like the psychological, um, you know, just, just pondering on relationships and stuff. And, and mm-hmm. as a result, it has a lot of this kind of horror aesthetics where it feels like it's going to build up to some twist ending that, oh, the janitor's a ghost and he's actually been thinking about all the people he's seen or... Um, that Jake is a ghost, and I or or the lady's a ghost. I mean, I don't know. I I, I had like multiple people I thought was the ghost throughout mm-hmm. this whole thing, and turns out, as far as I can tell, the only solid ghost in the whole film is a pig, a cartoon <laughs> pig. <laughs> yeah, but he's also leading the janitor down this hall, and I I get the sense that like that's the end for the janitor. Like, I, yeah, and so he might he might be a ghost in that scene too. I'm. There's, sure. there's a lot of other things that are subtly wrong about the film, like the fact that this woman yeah. keeps getting different names and she gets yeah. phone calls from people who she has had this name, uh, you know, like she's got like six different names by the time this film is over. Mm-hmm. Um, the photos, when she looks at the photos, it looks like it's a photo of her. And then it switches into a photo of Jesse Plemons. Yeah, the photos bunch in of sh- Jake's house, you know, the the ones that should be of him that he claims are of him. She's seeing herself. In them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then there's a lot of just surreal elements in this film. For example, in the middle of this film, uh, another film breaks out starring uh, Ashley from The Boys out of nowhere. Yeah. And ends in a credit sequence that's directed by Robert Zemeckis. And then the movie keeps going. Uh, and and. Uh, it, her name's Colby Minifee, I think, is how you say that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Vaughn is the character in the TV show. She shows mm. up yeah, yeah, in yeah. the car uh, later on, right? At, like transposed with with Lucy. I, I'm going to call her Lucy. I don't know what her real name is. Yeah, but, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Jesse Buckley's character. 
uh-huh. it just it just swapped out with her for like two sentences and then she's back. Yeah, I noticed that uh, Jesse Buckley's always credited in the subtitles as a young woman because okay. she. I I wonder what she was actually credited for in the credits because I watched the credit sequence. Um, did you watch the whole credit sequence? Because yeah. there's continuing things happen. Um, and Wait, this is did- where because I. I, I watched all the way through, and I'm like, "Is this where it's going to turn into a fucking ghost story? Finally, at the very end, they're going they're going to be something, and it it doesn't." But it's kind of like how you talked about how the the Homeland episodes was a Homeland or Homecoming, 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 yeah. where things keep happening, and this emotional kind of palette continues to be painted, mm-hmm. and you do like the, the the foreground goes blurry, but you can still hear like it sounds like someone. I thought it sounded like someone was like every couple minutes trying to start a car, like turning over a car that's been left on overnight. Huh. And it, then the show, like the very end of it, um, there's like machinery that kind of starts up at the very end of it snaps back to crystal clear. And I thought I'd see like a body in the ground, but no, there's no change and it just goes away. It's just like and the truck covered in snow, right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No new information. Um, that, that too is weird. And then the, the entire third act continues to do these crazy fourth wall breaking things. Like, for example, um, you've got this thing where uh, a, a La La Land style dance number breaks out to like the themes of Oklahoma. Then a shot for shot remake of the end of A Beautiful Mind happens. Mm-hmm. Where Jesse Plemons is dressed up like John Nash, and he's given this moving speech to Jesse Buckley. Um, you've got then he after that he actually sings a number from Oklahoma, and then the animated pig shows up. And even before that, you had this like animated the, this weird bizarre sequence of them stopping for ice cream at this place with an animated commercial. So, so what do you think? What do you think this film is actually about? I mean, I think it's about um, a lot of things, but one of the major things it's about is the pointlessness and hopelessness of life. Like, you know, we're we're all destined for the same place, right? And no matter what we do during our life, that's not going to change. Um, and I feel like Charlie Kaufman gets so caught up in that idea uh, that it overwhelms a little bit. Mm-hmm. And certainly that's, you know, that's a reasonable response to to the the idea of like the inevitability of death. But also it's a pretty bleak one. Um, and it, it's, you know, not one that I ascribe, ascribe to. But like, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I, th- I think that's ultimately what it's about. Like the hopelessness and pointlessness of a life that is going to end. Because this oh, this whole like, movie feels very much like a, an aging man contemplating like paths not taken. Um, it, it almost feels like a multiverse film in that way. Like the paths not taken, the paths that were taken, uh, how those things uh, you know affect the future or whatever potential future is left. All that is in there. It's just he doesn't have a very cheery outlook on it all. Yeah, I do think what this movie is literally about. And I could change my mind with other viewings and reading 50,000 word essays on it. But I think it's really about this old man who freezes to death one night. And yeah, yeah. in his dying moments, he is thinking back about all of his relationships, the important relationships in his life. His mother, his father, all of his lovers, 
even career things, and they're all fused into this one thing that becomes more and more detached from reality as he gets further and further along in the dying process until this pig, like one of his early memories of life on a farm when he's a young child trying to understand this pointless death that these pigs go through, and this pig comes back to usher him into the next life, you know? And he says, like, you know, somebody's got to be the pig that dies with a belly full of maggots, you know? And and it just happens to be you this time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I I think that that's why the woman changes identity so many times, because you're supposed to understand that these are all the different relationships that never quite worked out. The fact that he was kind of like this brilliant guy who went to college for physicists, I think. I don't know if that's, like, what he wanted or thought he was capable of or, or... he got sidetracked because his parents got ill and he had to take care of him. And then he kind of Walter White himself. Like Walter White is this famous, not famous, but brilliant chemist, the bright future ahead, gets his wife pregnant and then decides to take a detour. But I think that's that's the interpretation I think will hold up, that these are all just the last thoughts of a dying man who is contemplating a life more full of regrets than full of like possibilities and, and, and happy things. Yeah. Um, And that explains why Jesse Plemons can hear, kind of hear the woman's thoughts, because he's looking at these relationships with the foreknowledge that they don't work out, that things things came to an end, and he's, like, trying to listen really carefully for the points where those went wrong. Like, where is the point where this woman decided, I'm not worth the trouble anymore? You know, why did she make that choice? Um, And I think at times, uh, Jake might even be the the lucy character you know like especially when Mm. she's in his home and she's seeing herself in his old photos like there may be a blending a bleeding over of the two between like oh this is at times the you know what could have been like what if he was born uh, a female what if he Mm -hmm. you know was was born someone who was more attractive right or or less prone to like binge eating which i think is part of part of this like drowning himself in sugar or whatever uh, and being made fun of in high school, like all of that kind of is is there. And I, I don't think Lucy, that character, is ever like is ever one thing. I think she's a lot of different things. It's it's past mm-hmm. relationships, like you said, that could have been or that were that might have gone somewhere. But it's also at times, I think, himself. That's interesting because, like, I guess that in the original book, that's the big psychological reveal is that the female character that you have been primarily seeing everything happen turns out to be (laughs) essentially morphs into the old man janitor character who's thinking about his life. Gotcha. Um, I I have not read that makes, And I will say I don't get 99% of the references in this movie. Like, there are films I haven't seen and, and poems I haven't read and books I haven't read. And one is just a word for word review, like a 1960s like film crit- piece of film criticism by this famous L.A. Times writer. Yeah, Pauline um, Kale, I think is her name. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I feel like that there's a lot of this where it, I, I interpret it as like intense empathy on the case of, of Jake because like just like he becomes the girl that he that ultimately rejects him at certain times of the film. There's also this thing where they go to the. Uh, the ice cream stand yeah. and they're served by the shy girl that maybe he had an effect like, you know, a fascination with because she was different from the other girls, but she has this like really bad case of psoriasis on her arms. And when Jesse, like there's this just really brief shot where he's handing money to her and it's, she had, he has the same kind of lesions on his arm. Yeah. And I don't 
think he literally did, but it's almost like he is thinking about her and what she's going through and why and yeah. be kind of like taking her affect onto him to kind of process all those things. Yeah, and, and he was, you know, he was the loser in high school. He was the kid that people made fun of and were cruel to. And, and that's reflected even in like the the dance number, right? Uh, toward the end. Like that's the that's the what if, right? Like the, oh, what if I was, you know, famous or I, I was popular and I was attractive in high school and like all those things. Um, that, that's kind of the what if in that scenario. But but I, I don't even know how to interpret that because it doesn't end well, right? Like in the, the dance number, like she's she's stolen off the altar as best I can tell by this janitor who who sweeps her away and then he goes to try and win her back and dies in the process so like that's a literally what happens in oklahoma you got this guy who's trying to oh win is it a girl okay, I, and see another yeah, reference ends up getting murdered know. by yeah uh, yeah okay so uh, but there's hmm, that's even more confusing i weird yeah yeah i mean there's this this movie is constantly has this stuff where it mixes very profound statements like there's this one thing they said that other animals live in the present but humans cannot so they invented hope which i thought like Jesus, that's going to stick with me for a while. Uh-huh. But then the stuff that's just utterly banal that's mixed in, like, um, you know, some of this comes across, some of this is so advanced, but some of it comes across as like a student who's taken 101 philosophy and is writing down a thought that they're sure is like a, a, a organic, unique thought. And I, a lot of people are dragging a film for that, like it's seemingly pretentiousness, but some of it's surface level pretension. But are we sure that's not intentional? Because I think they're painting Jake as this type of character who, you know, has this Dunning-Kruger effect where it's like, yeah, if I had played my cards right, I could have been a nuclear physicist and dated all. Like, it could be that these are his organic thoughts. Like, um, and I saw one interpretation of like this long, or this wasn't in, inter- this was Andy Kaufman, or not, not Andy, Charlie <laughs> Kaufman's interpretation where he said he threw in the scene of this girl, uh, this this uh, female critic eviscerating this film as a stand-in for every time he's liked something, and then he read something from a person smarter than him tearing it apart and felt like a jackass for liking it. Like, okay, you know, Jake really admires this film, and this his girlfriend through the lens of this critic just takes it down and makes him feel like an idiot uh, for for even even liking it. And like that's a, like something about his insecurities and stuff too, mm-hmm. but um, it was always entertaining. Like it, it, it kind of reminded me of like what we say about the weather in the Midwest. If you don't like it, wait fifteen minutes and it'll change. Uh-huh. Like this, if you don't like what kind of film this is, wait fifteen minutes and it'll it'll transform. And now it's La La Land, and I particularly liked this guy dying and throwing out the red scarves at the spurts of blood. And I was like, man, is this going to be foreshadowing is, and I, I thought like, because there's so much stuff that obviously is not truly happening. Like the ice cream stand visit. And he goes, and he tries to make out with his girlfriend. And he says that this, this old guy is seeing him. And, but I thought during this, I'm like, Oh, there's actually a chance that I'm seeing a dramatization of what's actually happened. He went to go challenge this guy. They got in a fight. Someone got killed. And we're going to shift into, like, I don't know, some kind of actual Fargo mode with a real grisly murder. Nope. Nope. Still just old guy dying in the snow banks, as far as I can tell. But Yeah. uh, I mean, it just gets weirder from there. It's like it ends with this uh, 
straight th- this verbatim homage to uh beautiful mind it's not even homage mm-hmm. right it is the the Just plagiarizes uh, nobel prize acceptance speech from a beautiful mind yep with with like some, and I don't know if they're doing the makeup stuff there to just poke fun at how kind of bad the makeup is, the old person makeup is in Beautiful Mind, because <laughs> it is kind of bad. Um, but yeah, it's it's strange, right? It's not literal. He's not winning a Nobel Prize for anything. Uh, it, this is another what if, I guess. Like if his <laughs> diligence had turned into, if he had been more successful, I. I don't even know. See, that's the thing is his childhood bedroom is full of these books and like DVD cases of these high flute movies and beautiful mind was prominently pictured. So it's almost like, is he just cycling through like as the last vestiges Mm. of his consciousness lead his body? He's just kind of like reduced to remixing things from popular culture. Well, that's an Andy, better, more profound, better, more profound versions of his own thoughts, which you're about to say that's kind of a Charlie Kaufman thing. It is. Yeah. If you look at adaptation, uh, that's a movie that like wraps back in on itself where like it's a a script writer trying to write a script that it's is exciting and feeling like a hack the whole time doing it. And then his brother's got this script that is exciting. And by the end of the movie, the movie has turned into that script. It's yes, it's bizarrely connected but feels like super satisfying in a strange ephemeral way and this movie i feel has a little bit of that going on in the end and especially because the entire time you know like you mentioned they they slip into this mode where it's a movie critic giving a you know giving a verbatim critique of this film that i haven't seen but then there's a lot about spectacle and how that bleeds Mm -hmm. into our lives and changes us the things we see on television or movies those fantasies turn us into different people and thereby become real. It's yeah. It's, it's got a lot of that weird Charlie Kaufman spectacle DNA in it that I find incredibly interesting, if not understandable. Yeah. I also found, find that it has a lot of this um, kind of defensive critique stuff to it. Like I feel like David Thewlis's father is, the 50% of people that think this movie sucks. Yeah. And he's like, you know, look at this beautiful painting. Well, how am I supposed to feel about it? There's nothing in here that I can relate to. Like if I was in this film and, you know, the fact that he cannot get that, like, Hey, if you see a beautiful sunrise that stirs something in your heart. And I'm trying to like, like these landscapes, as she says, it's like, I'm going for more of like an emotional tone. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's like Andy Kaufman, response to people who just like I don't fucking get it how am I supposed to relate to this character what the hell is even going on like it's just a landscape man you know this is a particularly bleak bleak existential crisis one can you not relate to feeling this way and if so then pat yourself on the back and consider yourself lucky because I sure as shit can Um, yeah there's always something but I also I mean here's here's the thing as a like a 22 23 year old man I saw uh, being John Malkovich, and I fucking hated it. I hated it so much because it was pretentious. It was up its own ass. It didn't oh, make yeah. sense. It like it's got all these weird thoughts about being middle aged and life passing you by, and that shit didn't apply to me, man. I had I had the bull by the horns, and I was twisting that fucker for all I could. <laughs> I bet 
I, and I've never gone back and seen that movie. I bet 20 years later, if I saw that, I bet John Malkovich is a much more profound experience for me because I've had those experiences to allow me to that put me into that scene. Perhaps. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but it is. Yeah. Like it's this is I, I imagine if if people like see this and like it because, you know, it's on Netflix, got Netflix, you might as well watch it. Um, if you if you see this and like it, I recommend going through all of Kaufman's um, uh, a filmography because they're all like of this piece. Mm-hmm. They're not all exactly the same, but like it, you know, and a lot of people like Eternal Sunshine. Um, yeah, love it. That is a very mainstream version of what Kaufman's trying to do here. Synecdoche is like an uncut heroin version of what he's trying to do here, huh. and a little bit maybe more focused because there's it's clearly about a character and his relationships and how they change. Like it's explicitly about this, but a lot of the same visual metaphor of like people showing up and they're much younger, much older. You know, uh, everything's very stream of consciousness uh, kind of a thing. Is, is it's a lot like that, and then of course you know, being John Malkovich is all about inhabiting another person's perspective and how intoxicating that can be. Um, so, so I'm, I spent some time trying to reconcile something last night because these, okay. these movies, like all the ones you mentioned are uncomfortably close for me to David Lynch territory, which I notoriously uh, I, dislike David Lynch, anything. Uh, I've seen blue velvet. I've seen, what is it? Mulholland drive. Uh huh. Uh huh. I actually have a note. The final bullet point is ask Jim about David Lynch because I'm yeah. like, if you like this, what the fuck? No, I'm 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 coming to a reckoning where I'm going to have to reconsider. I'm going to have to sit down and, and figure out what it is that I don't like about David Lynch because I, I think it, he leans farther into this. Like, there's always something I, I agree entertaining, uh, something grounding in a Charlie Kaufman film that I can latch on to. Whereas in a yeah. David Lynch film, I feel adrift the entire time. Um, yeah, this has like a lot this of that mov- DNA in it, though. I would say. Oh yeah, like if this movie is like a very bleak wintertime Bob Ross painting. Mm-hmm. David Lynch is like an impressionist version of that, the or abstract a version. version of that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Where it's just colors and shapes. There's no trees or water features or cabins, late game cabins. <laughs> there, it's no. just it's just swirls and you know the sun's turning into the head of a bull and who the fuck even knows. It's like. Yeah, like one even more step removed from narrative structure or, or yeah. whatnot. It could be. It could be. Because yeah, it, like, I, be. I, 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 I was like, as I, I told Cesar, this is 50-50. Jim might hate this because this is really fucking Lynchian. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but, it, uh, I will yeah. say it is more Lynchian than a lot of uh, Kaufman's movies. Like adaptation absolutely has a lot of grounding. Um, oh, it's yeah. It's got a plot. Oh, yeah. It's got story. It's funny, too. Like there's the other thing is yeah. like, there is nothing funny about this, right? I mean, uh, the, some, some of the, the dinner scene, the the stuff at the parents' house, I thought was kind of funny in places, in a very kind of awkward, socially awkward way. Yeah. The smash cut to like the Robert Zemeckis film, I did laugh out loud at. Okay, more from just how bizarre, aud- audacious it was than yeah. like any genuine, genuine sense of mirth. But adaptation's f- fucking hilarious. Yeah, um, there's some Cage stuff in Synecdoche that's that really. <laughs> uh and uh oh man who's the award win- i i still sometimes think of um who's the oscar winning like Meryl she's Streep? got the most oscars yeah meryl streep's 
acting when she's taking this uh, orca drug is still cracks like her brushing her teeth and slowly uh-huh. this reality skewing is still some of the funniest performances I've ever seen in my life. Um, I like the guy whose name but, I can't but, ever yeah. remember. The fuck fish guy. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, but this this yeah, this film doesn't have a lot like any yeah. any any ha ha's really at all. There's a couple things that you might laugh at because what the fuck the um the ice cream commercial might might do one of those things for you, but mostly the, it's just the genus the stark. genus genius joke was actually pretty good. Mm. But it was a very intensely uncomfortable situation. Like he's picking yeah. his fight with his mom, making this, you know, uh, I don't know what the hell her name's Lucy, Lucy, Lucia, Lucius, Ames, making her intensely uncomfortable, and I don't know. That's, but I don't know. This is a this I don't I, I like I said the the of the bald movies we've reviewed this shares a lot of like that mother DNA and just like it I felt I felt like this is a more successful version of mother especially in its second arc uh, yeah. second act and but they're both kind of like horror films that never quite take off you know it's like a horror film that fizzles out in its second stage right like it's it's about to leave the atmosphere and then that one is, just doesn't fire and it lands and burns up in the, the mundane atmosphere um i yeah do do you have a lot more to say about this uh film or not a ton honestly um it's definitely something i'm going to have to watch again to understand really any of it um because I, I guess I expected it to be a little more straightforward, like a like an adaptation or an Eternal Sunshine, right? Those are not super cryptic movies. The other thing we didn't mention is, and and we we in our pre podcast you you said that you didn't even realize, but this movie is, as far as I can tell, entirely shot in a four three lighthouse esque, not huh. quite as square as that framing, but old school TV framing. Um, which a lot of people bitched about and I don't get it like it's it's like I'm living through the Philistine times of people being unhappy with letterboxing you know like oh my TV's got black bars on I don't like it it's like <laughs> it's it's well, a creative choice at this point like it didn't use yeah to be. now it is uh let me ask you this so the only time I can remember maybe recalling the aspect ratio because I'm notoriously bad at noticing this stuff like Mm-hmm. You know, when a Westworld or something switches aspect ratio, I, I don't notice rarely ever unless I'm actively mm-hmm. looking for it. Uh, mm-hmm. I think the only time this doesn't uh, show display in the four by three aspect ratio is when the TV show or or movie or whatever it is. The is on. Yeah. That, could, that might be. Is that part of the thematic like spectacle message? Like this is somehow more real yeah. than, than the limited version of it that we get in life. I do think as I noticed every time they're out in the snow, I could see like uh, whenever they're driving through the snowstorm or out in in snowstorm or there on the the, at the tasty freeze or whatever the fuck the ice cream place was called. Uh um, Frosty Town. I. Yeah. Tulsi Town. Town? Maybe that's what it was. I I noticed that it was there and I speculated because, you know, I did a lot of research on this meaning of this for the lighthouse and. Like, I felt like probably they're going for this claustrophobic feeling. They are going for stuff that, especially when you're moving through their parents' house. I also noticed aspect ratio, too, where when they're panning over to an empty room or the shot is staying on an emptiness that people have left, like, 
that whole kind of like if you've ever gotten so into a video game that your character goes to peek around a corner and you try to like cheat the monitor like sure. like that's going to work i felt some of that like the way the same way that when i'm watching paranormal activity or something that i'm trying to like will the the boundary of the screen to move so i can see what's about to jump out and scare me mm-hmm. and i think you're that's the that that's what they're trying to get like they're boxing you in um and 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 get that feeling but that's that's just speculative um, because yeah. I did read an interview with Charlie Kaufman and he's pretty much like, I, I don't really want to explain this film. Uh, <laughs> Fair. That's fine. I, uh, yeah, it, it, it means what it means. And I shot it and it's two two hours and 12 minutes long. And there you go. Which, yeah, I actually admire that. Um, but yeah, other than the, the aspect ratio, that's the other. Um, this isn't like a visual feast. There's a few noteworthy things. Like I said, the... Uh, uh, the La La Land style dance kind of fight that they have. Um, that uh, Tulsi Town commercial was kind of interesting, but mostly it's just bleak, gray, subdued landscapes and bleak, gray, subdued personalities. And, and uh, yeah, I mean, nothing is happening in the first like hour and a half of this movie. It's it's yeah. a car. It's a couple of car rides. It's uh-huh. a couple of. You know, somewhat bizarre talking scenes, uh, dinner with a family. Uncomfortable dinner party. But I found myself compelled throughout this entire thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, Like I was, uh, my attention was wrapped on this screen. Um, I I don't know how he does it, right? He's working with almost nothing here. And yet the, and there's a tension that I don't even realize I'm feeling until I kind of get so far down that, that well that I'm like, I, I sit back and go, oh God, I, I feel something here. I feel either terrible or or this is like super captivating or something. But yeah, I never felt like it dragged at all, even though it was incredibly boring things were happening on the screen. Yeah, I uh, yeah, that's a good point because that that tension you're talking about is something you feel. Yeah, um, like waiting for the parents it, to come down the stairs. That's like ten minutes of of waiting and having like a back and forth about are they going to come down like, and they keep on building into a moment like there's an uncomfortable subject and to change the tension he gestures to the staircase and is like oh now here they are and for thirty seconds you watch the staircase uncomfortably with them and they move on to something else that's even more uncomfortable like what's going on in this basement and yeah yeah like they keep on cutting the tension with another tense scene. Mm-hmm. Only to not resolve that tension, and yeah. it, it keeps on like it's a waterfall, like uh, one of those champagne uh, deals where it's like all the champagne glasses you're pouring, it just keeps on overflowing to the next one and to the next one. Uh-huh. You're at the bottom of that, like Jesus Christ, resolves some of this tension. And I don't know what a film ever does because this film essentially kicks the can all the way to its conclusion, and which seems like then the leaves point, you right? with that. Like, yeah, like, like it's unsatisfying. And doing the same. And is your life like this? Maybe like that's the thing. It's like, do you want to be do you want this kind of tension in your life on your deathbed? If so, keep kicking the can down till tomorrow. If not, maybe fucking pick up the can and do something with it. Uh, Yeah, that is one of the other big themes, right? Is like indecision and yes, uh, just kind of snowballing and, and how things just like you blink and suddenly 10 years have passed and you're still in the same situation that you didn't want to be in in the first place. And now what do you do about it? Do you do you sit there for another 10 years doing the same thing or do you change it and how? Um, yeah, that, that's very much like a big theme of this film. 
Yeah. And I've like, uh, that's an epiphany I had about life that like life really starts blurring past you when you get in a routine that never changes. Yeah. And I've been reflecting about it a lot this year because I've been enforced into a routine yep. that never, ever fucking changes. And this year has felt like a lifetime. And also like it's this blurred past. Like I was just thinking, Jesus Christ, Cecily's birthday was in February. And now I'm a month away from my son's birthday. What the fuck happened? Uh, uh-huh. But and I've tried ever since I've had that epiphany to relive my life with a lot of variety and changing and all these different challenges. And it's been like a, I feel like my own fucking life is stuck in this four three aspect ratio of late claustrophobic yeah. cl- closing on the sides. And that's what I mean. Like, don't watch this right saying. now. <laughs> don't watch uh, but, it. But right but now. on the other hand, it also if you're if you're not if you're not really white knuckling it and you know okay. uh, yeah. it it because it also is I thought a pretty good meditation of you know what I'm feeling right now and, and complimentary of that or like lets you it's kind of like uh, going to an art museum and staring at a particular intriguing piece for a long time it's it's uh you let your mind wander a bit you can meditate uh, it's similar to kind of like ad astra I found myself hmm. for because a lot of times when I'm watching something I get caught up in like what the fuck am I going to say about this film but in like with Ad Astra in this film, instead, I found myself getting lost in reveries about how this is actually applies to kind of like my life and my situation. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, like, obviously, if you're in, in a bad way, mentally or emotionally, uh, don't don't take on something particularly challenging. But if you're, you know, uh, I don't think anyone's doing well. But, you know, if, if you're not completely white knuckling and you got a little bit of uh, wherewithal, it I don't know, might be. Might be worth the meditation. Sure. That's 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 all I got. Same here. I'm about to go freeze to death with my belly full of maggots. Uh, <laughs> and see if I can get that goddamn car started so mm-hmm. I can pull out this movie. All right. Well, next week we have something completely different. It's at the opposite end of um, examined, examining the life unlived. This is uh, the 2012 film Wolf of Wall Street which is examining a life lived to excess. <laughs> and uh, we, we've we got... It, it's, a, it's, it's a saturated movie with color and personality. And we've got a lot to say about it. I uh, hope you join us back next week for that. Until then, I'm Aaron. And I'm Jim. See ya. <laughs>